0: History is full of amazing stories and memorable people. But we don't care about them.
1: No hits, deep tracks only.
0: Some of the most influential people in the world have been completely overlooked or just plain forgotten.
1: We're digging deep into the history books to bring you their stories.
0: I'm Phil. And I'm Matt. We're not historians. We're just two guys who enjoy a great story and plenty of laughs.
1: This. This History's B-Side.
0: Today's B-Sider is the Lady Professor of Bologna.
1: So I know we've talked a lot about our travel experiences in the past, but I couldn't really resist allowing ourselves one more opportunity to discuss our adventures just given how much my experiences at least overlap with our topic for today. Um, this is but- now
0: the history's B-side drinking game. Matt and Phil mentioned going to Italy. Everyone take a drink.
1: <laughs> so what cities were you in when you went?
0: Uh, we were only there for six, seven days, something like that. But we tried to cram as much as we could. So we, I mean, we spent most of our time in Rome, but we went to Florence, Venice, Pompeii, Sorrento, uh just some random stops yeah. along the Amalfi coast. So we we did a lot of like driving around, taking the trains and stuff, but we weren't really I mean I guess we spent most of our time in Rome.
1: Yeah. I mean that's easy to do. You could spend a whole week in Rome and, and still just not do that. See it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I my first time and my second time there, I I had to go to Bologna. Uh, the second time I went because I kind of fell in love with it during my first trip. And it was kind of the, it wasn't the last place I went, but it was the first place I went after a series of bad experiences, such as staying at a pretty bad Airbnb in a rough part of town in um, Palermo in Sicily. And like, Palermo's not the worst, but it's like, it's not known for being one of the better parts of Italy. Um, And the part of town I was staying in was pretty rough.
0: I don't know much about Palermo, but... I know there are some, like, harsher parts of Sicily. Like, I've heard that you can get in some trouble there if you're
1: in the wrong neighborhoods, I guess. Well, that's the thing. Like, I don't even know how much I want to say, like, a bad neighborhood. Like, it might have been totally fine. I just, as a tourist, as an American, I guess add an extra bit of caution because I don't know how to tell the neighborhoods apart. I don't know how to tell if I'm in a bad situation all the time. But anyway... That's not really here nor there. I, <laughs> I had this bad experience there. And then the next place I was uh, scheduled to go was Cinque Terre on the western coast, which has this really nice like hiking trail you can do between these five different towns. And the idea is like it's a day-long hike. You hike down, you see each little village, and then you take a boat back. But for whatever reason, I got on the wrong train. I got on the slow regional train oh, instead geez. of the super-fast train. So instead of getting into the first town Rio Majore at six o'clock I got in at 10 and nothing was open my Airbnb host wouldn't respond to me and in the towns on that coast they're like all built on the hillside and you can't really find your way it's like being at Hogwarts like Hmm. some of the streets are literally hallways and stairways (laughs) so I eventually I mean I eventually ended up finding it that night but I was already in like a bad mood because of that. And then the next day I found out that the trail between the towns had a mudslide and was closed. So I just Jeez. left. Like I was done. I was so done. Like everybody has these cool stories about Cinque Terre because it's one of the places a lot of people go when they go to Italy. And I just had a terrible experience there. But anyway, I ended up the next day just moving up my Airbnb reservation in Bologna and just catching a train. And the the city like received me with open arms. It was really cool. So we had an experience.
0: I mean, it wasn't anything like I guess, a no good, very bad, rotten day like you were having. But when we first got to Florence, it was just so overwhelming because it was storming. That's really the only time we had, like, really bad weather in Italy. But it was storming and our uh, Wi-Fi thing wasn't working right. And we were just new to the city and the train station wasn't, like, really in the center of the city. So we weren't really sure where we were. And it took us a long time to get our bearings. And I was just miserable because it was raining on us. (laughs) So... I, I was like, this is just going to be a nightmare. I, obviously, it wasn't that bad, really. And once the rain cleared up and we kind of figured out where we were and stuff, Florence was like one of my b- favorite cities. But it was just kind of like yeah. that lost in a new area feeling where you just feel like everything's going to go wrong because you're a little confused where you are. Right.
1: Well, Right. When you kind of feel arrested, like all of your problem-solving faculties are lessened because you can't speak the language very yeah. well and you don't know all the... Yeah, like Here, you just know how things work across the board like right you can call emergency <laughs> services we all have the number memorized i don't know if it's different there but like it's just different not sure
0: who you can trust to <laughs> ask for directions
1: if you need them yeah so yeah i mean i i, I totally get that's kind of where i was i was for lack of a better word like flailing i was just like i gotta get this trip back on track because <laughs> it wasn't cheap and i was having a bad time so i was i was kind of happy and surprised to to enjoy Bologna as much as I did it's a smaller town um, smaller city I should say than like Rome or Milan or Venice um, it might be the size of Florence but I venture to guess it's smaller I haven't been to Florence so I was gonna say
0: I'm surprised you went there twice like both times that you went to Italy because even having been there I probably wouldn't return to I mean I, I would go back to Rome or Venice or Florence yeah. but uh, if I got the chance to go back to Italy, I probably wouldn't go somewhere I've already been, even, even though I enjoyed those places, I just would want to see a lot more, but I never, it never crossed my mind to go visit Bologna. So well, it's kind of the fact that you enjoyed it enough to go back must've been pretty telling. It's kind
1: of out of the way. And, you know, I mean, I guess not really like you kind of go past it or even through it to go from Rome to Venice, which I venture to guess many people do, but It's definitely, if you were to list, like, the major cities in Rome that people would go to, in Rome, in Italy that people would go to, I don't know that it would be on most people's major lists. But it's a huge, like, it's a giant, almost capital of food culture in Italy when we think of Italian food. You know, a lot of what we think of are, like, the meats, the cured meats, the cheeses, and a lot of that comes out of the area around Bologna, like... The, the city itself is known specifically for um, both the Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese and also the cured meat prosciutto di Parma. And those are actually protected, like, production, uh, culturally protected items. Like, it's almost like wine where you have to have a certain set of production yeah. rules that you have to follow for it to be titled prosciutto di Parma. You took Italian in high school, didn't you? Yes.
0: Did they, I don't remember which teacher it was but did they ever make you watch the parmigiano reggiano commercials no and uh, not that not that i remember <sighs> it could have happened they were so ridiculous cuz there were these people dressed up as tomatoes and other vegetables and I don't know just different <laughs> foods and stuff and they would there's like this one little kid that was like a baby cherry tomato and they'd all dance around singing like pa 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 parmigiano oh re, 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 regiano. <laughs> I just remember one of our teachers was like so obsessed with it and like made us watch it over and over and now that song's stuck in my head every time I hear someone mention parmigiano reggiano and
1: probably all of our listeners now too <laughs> <laughs> yeah go on youtube look up parmigiano reggiano you'll see what I'm talking about <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's it's this city that's super dense with food culture. It's also where the, it's, it's not technically a, I mean, I guess it is technically a meat sauce, but it's not just marinara with meat sauce or with meat in it. Um, but the bolognese sauce is a very specific type of oh, pasta sauce.
0: I didn't realize that's where that came from. Yeah. I feel stupid. It's, I mean, <laughs> I
1: don't know the exact ingredients. I know that it has like a cream base to it but it's a darker sauce. So that's what I say when I mean it's not tomato sauce with meat thrown into it, which is what a lot of people think.
0: We briefly carried some kind of penne bolognese at Panera. Mm-hmm. We've got pastas at Panera. It was disgusting. <laughs>
1: I don't know how well Panera does pasta bolognese. They don't
0: anymore, so
1: that tells you how well Panera did pasta bolognese. <laughs> anyway, it was it was just a really great place to find myself, like, where I could just engorge myself with good food and wine. <laughs> yeah, seriously. The city itself is also really beautiful. It, it's got a sense of, not that all of it, Italy doesn't, but it's got this specific sense of history in that in a lot of the Italian cities, and I imagine European cities, you have like modern buildings up against hundreds of years old buildings. Um, so you get this mixture. But in Bologna, most of the buildings in the town center are still like, the original you know, renovated architecture. So it actually does look like a medieval city. And there's these really great um, ornately decorated marble and stone pathways that are covered on most of the streets. So you don't have to worry about rain like you did in Florence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> But it's just a really fun city to walk around, to eat in and to explore. But I was really pleasantly surprised when I was there to find out about the University of Bologna. It's actually the oldest university in the Western world. So in in European history, at least, it's the oldest university. And I kind of stumbled upon it by downloading this free audio guide and just walking around it. But it's pretty much got all of its original buildings. Really cool history. It was founded in 1088 by its own students as the Bologna Studium. And it, it's the alma mater to several influential scholars, including the well-known Nicholas Copernicus, who was one of the first researchers to propose the heliocentric model of the solar system. Um, And, I mean, there's a slew of other important figures that both studied at and visited Mm. the university there. Um, And, I mean, it was around during the Renaissance and the Age of Enlightenment, so that kind of allowed it to be the center of, of academic thought. And to tie in to our topic for today the city was also at this time known as a paradise for women uh, and it was a place where in a unique way female success was not only permitted but really celebrated and this is at a time in the world where it wasn't often that women were even permitted in the public sphere or permitted in the professional sphere so
0: do you know why that is like why bologna was more progressive than maybe i have no <laughs>
1: idea i don't know um I mean, part of it would, I mean, I guess I would say part of it is because of the culture of women there that were like Laura Bassi and, and there was a more supportive culture. I don't know that this far back, you know, universities were considered progressive, you know, bubbles as they sometimes are now. But yeah, it was just a good, a good place to be a woman at the time that Laura Bassi was alive. Um, But I don't know why that is probably as good as it could be for the time well yeah i mean let's let's be clear let's be clear (laughs) as we'll find out to get to her story laura Bassi was born in bologna on october 20th of 1711 Um, and she was born to a successful lawyer named giuseppe Bassi and his wife rosa marie cesari Uh, and her father's aristocratic connections from his job as a lawyer opened up a lot of academic opportunities for Laura as a young girl she was basically considered a prodigy and was privately educated from the age of five in mathematics latin and french by her cousin father Lorenzo Stagani
0: so he was a catholic priest I'm guessing yes yeah
1: everybody in this time catholic (laughs) (laughs) I was
0: laughing at your outline because it says cousin father and I was like what that doesn't work out but Catholic priest (laughs)
1: yeah so she started really early on learning Latin I mean I wasn't learning Latin at five and that was why not your parents failed
0: you (laughs) clearly I mean it this is why you're not a scientific (laughs) professor at
1: the University of Bologna that's exactly that's the only reason why that's it (laughs) But it was kind of important for her reputation and for her future that she had a knack for Latin. She was really quite gifted at it. And Latin was kind of the main language that was used in scientific studies. So she already was kind of ahead of the game. Later on, during her teenage years, her studies expanded to include philosophy, metaphysics, and logic. Taught by Gaetano Tacconi, the Bossi family physician and professor of medicine. At the University of Bologna Uh, and it's also worth mentioning that Father Lorenzo Stagani her cousin was also a member of the Academy of Sciences so she had all of these early connections to the university even before she was in grade school age Um, and those tutors of hers got her recognized initially for her talent and her intellect eventually she caught the eye of Prospero Lorenzini Lambertini who became the Archbishop of Bologna in 1731 and later became Pope Benedict Fourteenth, And he took notice of Bossi's education and intellect, along with a lot of other prominent religious and political and academic figures. In April of 1732, Lambertini arranged for Bossi to publicly debate four professors of the University of Bologna in a public forum. And it was here that she would defend the 49 theses in her philosophica studia was that a like a writing what was that about so i mean it was i don't know that i would call it a book it was a collection of these theses that she had worked on um and they were split up by topic six of them were in logic so i i kind of imagine them as as essays in the same way that a phd would write a research paper and then defend it she was writing these essays on different topics and then defending them And six of them were in logic, 16 in metaphysics, and 16 in physics, specifically the nature of matter, motion, and meteors. And the rest of the theses were concerned with the nature of the mind or soul. So, I mean, it is a bit different from what we consider now. This is the the budding of modern academic thought at this time. So people aren't really delving into specific Mm -hmm. corners of the scientific world like they do now. I mean, they studied these large swaths of information, and were kind of all around academics, researchers, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. She ends up properly defending her theses, uh, and both the dissertation and the degree award ceremony took place at Bologna's Palazzo Publico, which is one of the places I actually got to go. I have some pictures of it that we should definitely post on our social media. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. So... Her dissertation and award ceremony are both at this Palazzo Pubblico, which is one of the most important government buildings in the city. And that meant that it was attended not only by university faculty and students, but many of the city's prominent religious and political figures, nobility, and all the ladies of Bologna. Oh, wow. As was quoted in, a, in, a, in an article about her. Would that have been unusual for
0: women to gather at something like this? Maybe not in Bologna, but...
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know that it would have been necessarily unusual for women to go. It certainly would have been unusual for a woman to be the one presenting at one. And I think the amount of attention given to her was unique. She became kind of like a, a, a local celebrity. You know, every, everybody knew her. She was the one who kicked in the door for women um, mm. and was re- well, respected by women and men, her colleagues and the public. So A month later, she was awarded her doctorate degree by the university on May 12th, 1732. She was the first woman to receive a doctorate in science and the second to receive a doctorate in philosophy, 50 years after Elena Cornaro Piscopia did in 1678. In June of 1732, she defended 12 additional theses, this time as a petition for a teaching position at the university. So she got her degree. Now she's petitioning to be allowed to teach at the university it's kind of like a job interview yeah i guess i don't know this sounds so intense i also imagine like her some of her like i don't know some of her colleagues were voltaire like i don't <laughs> i don't know if at the time they were just normal people and people didn't really think about it like that but it it would kind of terrify me to sit down in front of any of these people and give a dissertation But we're a different breed in the 21st century. I mean, I guess it would
0: be kind of the equivalent of like, I'm sure Voltaire wasn't thought of then in the way that we think of him now. Mm -hmm. But I I think it would be equivalent to if you were going to, I don't know, try to present a topic on space travel or technology, you having to do that up against like an Elon Musk or someone in our time who is like more of a celebrity but considered an expert in their field not that we think of elon musk as one of the greatest (laughs) minds of all time but you don't you know maybe hundreds of years from now we look back on people from our time in that way
1: Uh, yeah i mean it's i guess it is like a job interview this time around she has this quote-unquote job interview where she defends a wide range of subjects uh, including chemistry physics hydraulics mathematics and mechanics this dissertation was published as De aqua corpore naturali elemento aliorum, dear lord, I was going to get through it. This dissertation was published as De aqua corpore naturali elemento aliorum corporum parte universi, or concerning bodies of water as natural elements of other parts of the universe. It's a little prettier in Latin, if I do say so myself. I probably I can
0: see (laughs) that. So when you say like water as natural elements, what does that mean? Like, is this a time where water still thought of as one of the basic
1: elements or is this kind of a different interpretation? This is one of the things that I tried really hard to find and it was just never explained anywhere. It was mentioned in several different articles, but just using context clues from other works of hers, um, specifically the description of some of her work in hydraulics, which pretty much, it sounds funny, but uh, surrounded the study of bubbles, like the movement of (laughs) bubbles and how they behaved and air and water interacting with one another. So I imagine that water as natural elements meant her using the movement and mechanics of water to try to describe Newtonian physics and the laws of nature in the universe I don't know if that's 100% accurate, but that would be my best guess concerning, considering that she was, you know, a proponent of Newtonian physics and she did a lot of this mechanical work with water. I don't know that she was, or it could have been like the chemistry of water making up other bodies. But I tried so hard to find a description of that, a copy of it. (laughs) I don't know (laughs) that I even would have been able to read it, but. She was smarter than we are. (laughs) A little bit. Later that year, on October 29th, the University of Bologna granted Bassi a position as a professor of natural philosophy. And thus, she began her academic career as the first salaried female lecturer, as well as the first woman elected to the Academy of Sciences of the Institute of Bologna. We will get to her career in just a moment, but first we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. It's everyone's favorite part of a podcast episode, the ad break.
0: I'm sure everyone is tired of listening to us talk by now.
1: Which is presumably exactly why you've subscribed to our podcast, to hear us talk.
0: But seriously, we just wanted to take a minute to tell you some ways you can support the podcast on our
1: website, historiesbside.com. The first and most direct way you can support our podcast is by signing up for a membership. You can join at any monthly contribution level, but we suggest $10 to start. Though, please feel free to pick whatever fits into your budget. A membership will get you access to monthly boneless episodes, show notes, future episode cues, surprise gifts, and more.
0: We also have on there our merch shop, which includes things like t-shirts, hoodies, hats, drinkware, bags... Stuff for adults, kids, and dogs, so you can rep your favorite history podcast everywhere you go.
1: You'll also find extras, including free stickers, bookmarks, and postcards. You can suggest an episode topic, or submit a question about the podcast, one of our episodes, or even about us.
0: That website again is historiesbeside.com. And now, back to the episode.
1: All right, welcome back. So we left off with Laura Bossy just kind of starting out getting her teaching position at the University of Bologna. Uh, but unfortunately, following her appointment, Bossi was more annoyed than honored. Despite her intellect and academic ability, the university still held the belief that women should lead private lives and thus restricted her from leading public lectures like a male professor. The really kind of disturbed her and and irritated her to see her opportunity to contribute to the academic community be blocked so she started fighting for teaching rights equal to her male colleagues
0: unfortunately to no avail so if she wasn't teaching and she'd i mean i guess she's been appointed to this position as a lecturer but if she wasn't teaching what is she doing
1: she sort of was teaching so she would do experiments out of her home Um, and that was primarily where she did her research, and she would also give private lessons. Uh, She was also allowed to, I don't want to say allowed to give, but commissioned to give one public lecture about every year. So she was essentially a work-from-home instructor uh, (laughs) that was only allowed to give these private lessons to students from the university, but not at the university, and she wasn't giving as many Public lectures, as I think her male colleagues would have been commissioned to give.
0: Work from home 300 years before the pandemic forced everyone to work from home. Yeah. But were these at home lectures, like, were they sanctioned by the University of Bologna? Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, she technically was a professor, she just wasn't commissioned. I kind of think of it this way she wasn't given as much work as her colleagues. Or uh, you know the the right recognition, the ability to talk about her her works and her research. Eventually, the the cardinal Prospero Lambertini, who originally noticed her and, and got her in front of the dissertation board, encouraged Bossi throughout her career and was outspoken in support of her scientific work. An influential supporter of the university, the cardinal continually intervened when Bossi's colleagues attempted to segregate her from other professors. So. her whole story is kind of odd to me in that she routinely impresses a lot of the people in power. She clearly has people in power on her side, like Lambertini and there's all these different people, including the university that, you know, let her join the Academy of Sciences, let her be a voting member of the Academy of Sciences Academy of Sciences. I don't, there's like dissonance in my head, I guess, as far as why you would, go to this length to respect this person and you know kind of hold them up and then force them to almost work behind closed doors so i don't know you may not know the answer to this but was she
0: viewed as sort of an exception to the rule when she was appointed like did they feel like they were making exception for her or was she really like the first woman that they or the first woman that seemed qualified for this position. So it was a no
1: brainer that she would be, I think it was a little bit of both. You know, I think it, it, she was an exception, but I also think her tenacity and attitude and just sheer intellectual ability almost forced them to notice and recognize her. I mean, like I said, this was a far more friendly part of the world than many, but I still think there was a lot of hesitancy and like I said, a lot of this dissonance where they hold her up as a symbol of intellect and respect her ideas, but also discriminate against her in certain ways. Hmm. So even though they restricted her academic abilities due to her sex, the university expected Bossy to attend public events as a political symbol for women's academic advancement. This is kind of like how we, I mean, I guess even still use women and minorities as like
0: political props. You know, gotta make sure you have diversity in the the college <laughs> brochure or you have your token women or token black people in the political party in congress just to say that you have that we talked about it in Polly murray how you yeah. could represent women and you could represent african-americans but then it leaves out right. african-american women things like that like you have to have that representation but i don't know it's
1: kind of silly that We've
0: been doing this for hundreds of years.
1: Yeah, and this is, like I said, this is part of that dissonance. Like, how how is an institute, a scientific institute with this many philosophers and smart people, like, not see some of the almost hypocritical, you know, contradictory things? like, you know, she can't give more than one lecture a year and can't teach at the university, but she has to be at every event so that the world sees that we've got a female lecturer. (laughs) And that's kind of what it was about. Uh, One of the more notable of these events was the Carnival Anatomy, which honestly sounds really cool. I feel like I'd go to it, but it was an open human dissection (laughs) where anybody could purchase tickets and watch uh, a doctor of medicine dissect a human body.
0: What part of that sounds cool to you? Like the name Carnival Anatomy sounds like it'd be a really fun time, like a carnival, or the idea of open dissecting a human I think body? It'd be, I
1: mean, like this is going to sound, make me sound like a serial killer, but I really think it would be cool to like watch a, a human body be di- dissected, uh, just to know what's in there, what it looks like, what's in me, you know? I think I can
0: agree with you, but it does make you sound a little it's bit fine. like a serial killer.
1: It's fine. It's not the first time I've been accused of that. It probably won't be the last. But uh, yeah, I mean, I would go to Carnival Anatomy too if it was like an anatomy park
0: <laughs> a theme park.
1: There's do you do you watch Rick and Morty? No. There's an episode where he actually has an anatomy theme park, but it takes place inside a guy's body. Like you shrink down to go to it and there's like each of his organs is a, an anatomy ride. It's like the world's worst <laughs> water slide when you're inside the colon. Oh my god, dear god. <laughs> oh. All right, moving <laughs> on. Anyway, at the Carnival Anatomy, Bossy was required to go at the request of the university senate because this event was pretty central to the university's public reputation and attracted international attention. So they wanted her there, like I said, to, to interact and show this face of the university, which I think, I mean, from today's standards, I feel like is pretty unfair to stifle their actual research efforts and then use them as like a banner but as we always say as was the times in 1738 Bossi married giuseppe verrati a doctor of medicine and fellow lecturer at the university Uh, and the two shared a sophisticated working relationship and and really pushed each other they worked together on experiments they'd inspire each other ideas and eventually uh, this relationship moves Bossy to study experimental physics, which is the field where she spends a majority of her time as an academic. I'm on
0: the record as saying that successful relationships and marriages can come out of being co-workers.
1: <laughs> I'm sure you are. <laughs> were you guys a, a like a, a Panera dream team?
0: We were. We were the ultimate Panera couple. I bet.
1: Did you get voted... Couple, you should have gotten voted, like, employee couple of the month. Do they do that? Of the
0: month, yeah. Because there were... <laughs> I mean, there were a handful of other couples there, but we might have been the only ones to make it out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I picture Panero to be, like, the office where, like, six different people are dating. Pretty much, yeah. We're exactly <laughs> like the office. In addition to their studies... Bassi and Varadi had several children together, though the exact number is unclear, ranging from 8 to 12 in various reports. Baptismal records indicate eight children, so that's what we're going to go with. (laughs) Unfortunately, three of these eight children died in infancy. This is where you say those were the times. (laughs) Those were the times. Children died.
0: (laughs) That's probably why there were only eight baptismal records, because three or four of them didn't make it
1: to baptism. Yeah. That's probably true. Oh, no. <laughs> after her marriage, she... That sounds like it ended. <laughs> 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 after her marriage to to Giuseppe... After her marriage to... After her marriage to... Why is that so hard to say? Oh, my God. <laughs> marriage to, to Giuseppe. Fuck it. Verratti it is.
0: You have a lot of fun
1: things to edit on this. Oh my God, that's got to be that's got to be a a blooper. After her marriage to after her marriage to Virati, she was able to study, experiment, and lecture from home on a more regular basis. She mainly focused on Newtonian physics and Franklinian electricity, and she was instrumental in introducing both of these new ideas in Italy. So this is at a time where there were conflicting ideas about physics about the solar system about the universe and how everything worked and newtonian physics even though now kind of the default from which other things are built was a new idea was a a kind of sector of the scientific community wait
0: when was ben franklin's flying a kite with a key in a lightning
1: storm thing I mean, I don't know that that actually happened at all, but <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure he was studying during this same time. I know. I just, I
0: don't know. I feel like I have this mental block as an American that everything involving the founding fathers happened in 1776, but all clearly this happened. They all just worked really hard before. for a year.
1: <laughs> I would, do you know when Ben Franklin was born? No. 1706. So he would have been 45, 40, 35, I don't know, ish. He would have been old enough to be doing studies, I suppose, at this time. Both Newtonian physics and Franklinian electricity were technically outside the university's curriculum, and her focus on these more experimental studies were another aspect of her restriction to teaching through private lessons. So, in addition to her being a woman and being supposed to lead a private life, (laughs) quote-unquote... She was studying things that were technically outside the university's curriculum at the time, but I honestly think this was kind of a good thing because it allowed her to carve out this niche, which I think in the end gave her a little bit more notoriety. Despite the restrictions, she instructed students in these sciences for close to 30 years, writing 28 papers on electricity, physics, and hydraulics. Partially due to her poor health after many pregnancies and childbirth complications, only four of those papers found their way to print. I'm just going to skip over the (laughs) the Latin pronunciation of these, but the four were concerning air pressure, concerning certain problems in hydrometrics. And that was the one about the bubbles (laughs) concerning (laughs) certain problems in mechanics and concerning intermixed gaseous fluid posthumously published in 1792 after her death. So mostly about the mechanics of matter. So what happened to the other 24 or however many papers? They were written, just not published? Correct. So when we say published, we mean published in the Academy of Sciences journal. Uh, the other 24 were written, but not put into print. They were probably given as a verbal lecture in in the public, in oh, okay. like a public square, but It's also pointed out that Laura was kind of a perfectionist, and it's possible that she didn't think these were good enough yet to send to be published. Okay. Um, That, and as I mentioned, she had a lot of health issues with um, her pregnancies, which kept her, you know, in and out of the university at various times. In 1740, Lambertini became Pope Benedict XIV. And five years later, in 1745, he reorganized the Bologna Academy of Sciences to create a special group of 25 scientists called the Benedettini, who were expected to regularly present their research. And this was intended to encourage the quantity of research coming out of the university. Bassi lobbied Benedict 14th to become the 25th Benedettini, uh, but for a woman to be awarded such an honor was particularly controversial. So Benedict XIV compromised and named Bassi to the Benedettini, but without the same voting privileges as the other 24.
0: This is the guy that was, like, defending her the
1: whole way growing up. Right. That's just weird. That's, I guess, yeah, It's, I guess what I mean when I say it's almost like I have this cognitive dissonance where the same guy who got her into the university and spoke for her and is now like, ah, but you can't be in my scientist club but I guess you can. You just can't actually participate fully. <laughs> so it's just weird to me. You know, I don't know how much these people felt like they were doing the right thing by allowing her the opportunity in the first place. But did the know. Catholic Church run the university? Um, yes and no. Uh, at this time, they were extraordinarily influential in pretty much all aspects of society. So they would have been a huge contributor to the university both in terms of money and thus power, but they were kind of intermixed at this point. Some, you know, some priests were academics, some academics were priests, and there was a lot of crossover at this Mm. time because the Catholic Church was so intermixed with society. Right. In 1772, Paolo Balbi, a professor in experimental physics, died at the University of Bologna. Although Bossy's husband had been his teaching assistant, Bassi was confident that she could fill the role. In 1776, at the age of 65, Bossy was appointed the chair of experimental physics at the university with her husband as a teaching assistant. This also made her the first woman to be chair at a university.
0: So why the four-year
1: gap? Was someone else appointed before her or they waited before appointing someone? I don't know why the four-year gap. Nobody else was appointed before her. Huh. There was not really a good explanation for that.
0: And her husband was okay with kind of
1: her being the boss? <laughs> I think so. I mean, yeah, he kept his role as a teaching assistantship. I mean, it spoiler alert, it only lasted like a year and a half because two years later in 1778, she died at the age of 66. Oh, okay. But from the articles I read, it seemed that they had a good working relationship.
0: Do we know anything about her time as the chair? Did she accomplish anything or drastically change anything?
1: I mean, I think she just kept teaching. There wasn't, I mean, most of her notable works came out of the period prior. uh, And a lot of what she's really known for was her, her dissertation and her work. So she didn't do anything notable beyond continue to teach and study during her time as a chair. As I said, she ended up dying shortly thereafter in 1778. Her cause of death is recorded as "attacco di petto," or attack in the chest, likely a heart attack. It's noted that her health was gradually deteriorating due to childbirth complications and her many pregnancies. Mm-hmm. But she leaves behind a, a pretty solid resume and a pretty solid legacy, despite having so few published works. And I have to say, We keep saying, and I've read so many times that she has few published works, but it was noted a couple times that this wasn't an unusually low amount of published works. Many people only published a handful of things Mm. during their time as a professor. But despite having so few published works, her impact on the scientific community of her time is undeniable, and especially evident in her correspondence with several prominent Enlightenment thinkers, including Voltaire, Cesare Beccaria, Francesco Algarotti, and Jean-Antoine Nolet. The last was actually, I just read, was the one who discovered cell osmosis. Oh, wow. And he also was a really prominent... elect. I don't know how you get from electricity to osmosis, but he was a really <laughs> prominent researcher of electricity. Voltaire once wrote to her saying, There is no bossy in London, and I would be much happier to be added to your Academy of Bologna than that of the English, even though it has produced a Newton. Wow. And Francesco wrote several poems about her dissertation and degree award ceremony. So Voltaire thought pretty highly of her. She was mm-hmm. obviously
0: fairly well known in Europe. I don't know how big her global reach was at the time, but she was must have been considered one of the more prominent minds of that era.
1: Yeah, I mean I I, I think she was, like I said, despite all of the discrimination and you know attempted segregation of her At the university, there were a lot of her colleagues that really respected her and saw her as a true colleague and I don't want to say competitor, but a a sounding board, somebody they could correspond with and exchange ideas with. So I think it was in researching her, it was made pretty clear to me at least that many of the most complex intellectual people of the time had a great deal of respect Mm. for her. Bassi was also a member of over a dozen academic organizations in Bologna, Modena, Florence, Rome, and other Italian cities. She became recognized as the Minerva of Bologna, Minerva being the Roman goddess of wisdom. After her death, a marble statue of her was placed in the university's Institute of Science, and a crater on Venus actually bears her name, (laughs) as well as a high school city and city street in Bologna. Via Laura Bassi Veretti. Did you see any of those things when you were there? Like, is that where you heard of her? I didn't know. So I actually heard of her a couple of weeks ago. She was on Google. You know how Google has those little, like, I don't know. The homepage thing? Graphics for their... Yeah, the, the homepage huh. graphics for different days. So it was in April sometime when they had her up. And I just kind of stumbled on it. And I was like, oh, this looks like an interesting yeah, topic. Thanks, Google. And then I saw she was <laughs> from Bologna. So... I didn't know anything about her when I was there but the main some of the main buildings like I said I got to vi- visit them the one I will send you a picture so we can share on social media but I took a couple of a building called the Arcigennasio where a lot of the classes were once held and it's really cool it's got all of these like both painted and also I don't know carved or sculptured ceramic family crests all over the walls like hundreds of them hmm just a super pretty super cool building to visit it'd be better if you knew latin but <laughs> <laughs> i mean i was thinking
0: when we were there like there's a lot of streets that are named after people i'm trying to think of one of the streets that we stayed on because i was looking up just out of curiosity like who this is that the streets named after and my memory's terrible but that's funny i mean there's obviously so many great minds scholars and philosophers that came out of that region so there's obviously a lot of people to learn yeah
1: about. it almost makes me i not that i need to go back a third time but it almost makes me want to go back having a new appreciation for it so i guess <laughs> i'll have to settle for just going through the pictures
0: we need uh the pandemic to end and people to get their vaccines and everything done so that we can <laughs> travel more so we have like new stories to talk about on our podcast yeah i'm sure everyone's getting tired of listening to us talk <laughs> about going to italy <laughs> ready for your quiz Ready to test your knowledge on science instead of history this time? Yeah, let's do it. We'll be right back.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to listen to History's B-Side. But normally I would say, ladies and gentlemen, this is What Should I Do, the podcast. Because I'm Scotty Brandon. My partner, Brandon, is with me. And we're going to tell you all about our podcast, but in a very, very abbreviated version. Because we want you to come over and listen. You're about to listen to Wonders of the Past right here on History's B-Side. But why don't you check out What Should I Do, the podcast, if you're looking for some personal and professional development in your life. People of all industries have been on our show for weekly and you can find us wherever podcasts are available. If you want to come over and have some fun, listen to other people's stories and their challenges, and maybe grow through exactly what they share, as well as play some fun games, come check out What Should I Do, the podcast. We're going to have some fun, and we hope to see you there. Now enjoy History's B-Side.
0: Now it's time for today's quiz segment. We like to end every episode with just a short three-question quiz to test today's host, see how much he learned about his topic and research. And maybe you, the listener, knows a few of these and can guess along while you're listening. You ready? I am ready. I don't think any of these really have to do with science per se. (laughs) They're more around the topic, but figured I'd scare you a little bit at the end of that one. (laughs) So your first question Right near the end of that section You mentioned that Bossy was Often compared to Minerva The Roman goddess of wisdom Mm -hmm. So hopefully you read A little bit about her Minerva was often pictured Alongside what creature
1: Oh my god
0: Alongside what creature I'm gonna say a snake You know that's actually pretty good because that was she was sometimes pictured with a snake but that's not the one i'm going for here a lion she's more well known (laughs) she was more well known for being pictured alongside an owl ah the goddess of wisdom was yeah the owl was referred to as the owl of minerva it symbolized wisdom and knowledge Uh, minerva was also the goddess of music poetry medicine wisdom commerce weaving and crafts And she was also the goddess of strategic warfare, so not like violence per se, but strategic warfare. She was more comparable to the Greek goddess of Athena, who we've talked about Mm. on an old episode.
1: I read about her being the goddess of like warfare, defense, and strategy, but I wasn't—I didn't know what animal she stood next to. I think that's what
0: where the snake came from, because there was two things that she was—yeah, two things that she was often seen holding or next to but it was an owl a snake and something else i can't think what the last thing was question number two you mentioned elena cornero piscopia who was the first woman to get a doctorate in philosophy which (laughs) obviously made (laughs) bossy the second woman to get such degree piscopia received her degree from what
1: university oh Eh, University of Florence. Why not? I don't even know if that's a thing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're kind of along the right
0: thought process, I guess, but it was the University of Padua, which is the second oldest university in Italy. It was founded in the year 1222, actually by students and teachers from Bologna.
1: Huh. Yeah, I thought that was cool. I almost guessed University of Bologna, just thinking it was a trick question or something. But... (laughs)
0: Could have, would have been a good guess. I mean, kind of in the same family, I guess. Yeah. Piscopia was a Venetian, so she was kind of in that mm. northern Italy, but not quite in the same exact area. Yeah. Your final question also has to do with the University of Bologna. This one is going to be kind of difficult, I guess, but I just thought it was super interesting mm. and maybe a little infuriating. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> that might that might have been a giveaway. How much is tuition at the University of Bologna today for a foreigner to get a master's degree?
1: I kind of feel like it's free, but I'm gonna i I want to say like fifteen grand, fifteen thousand euros. <laughs> <This> is... <laughs> Something super cheap. Uh, this is an,
0: in dollar amounts because I think this was from a like. Translated, university listing website. Yeah. I don't know, but th- this is a direct. This is a direct quote from that website. Doing your master's studies at University of Bologna is not cheap. A year of studies will cost you three thousand one hundred fourteen
1: U.S. dollars Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> We're so fucked. I mean, I mean, screwed, <laughs> screwed for the kids. <laughs> We chose to go to YSU because it was cheap, where it was like
0: $4,000 a, a
1: semester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for your bachelor's. You get a master's for... And s- that's
0: insanely cheap in America. You get
1: a master's for nine grand. What?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it's actually the same price for a bachelor's, and it's slightly cheaper for foreigners than it is for citizens of Italy. Interesting. It was like thirty-two. $3,253 for citizens to do their bachelor, or their masters. Damn. Dang, I should have gone there what for school. What is that 100 Yeah, $140 less for <laughs> foreigners. Yeah, I read that and I was like, why did we not go to Italy or you somewhere could have in Europe to get a degree in Italy
1: for less money?
0: <laughs> I think it said their acceptance rate is only like 60%, but still, I mean, that's
1: still pretty you good. You could
0: find some school to go to in Europe for A fraction of what we pay in the united states and be a much better experience
1: yeah for sure
0: i was really curious i wanted to look up what i don't know did they have tuition when (laughs) bossy was (laughs) at the university of bologna
1: but i don't think they had records of that nothing came up when i looked i feel like it was (laughs) like a i don't know a public service almost and you had to be chosen to to study there sponsored or funded
0: by i mean it was probably the right pope benedict the 14th or whatever his name was then <laughs> that sponsored her to go there
1: as usual thank you guys so much for listening we hope you enjoyed today's episode if you have any comments or questions please feel free to email us at history's b-side and we'll see you next week thanks for listening history's b-side is an independent listener supported
0: podcast Leave us a review or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting service and follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Histories
1: B-Side. Send us your feedback or inquire about sponsorship and advertising opportunities by emailing us at podcast at historiesbside.com.
0: You can support the show by becoming a member or making a one-time contribution at historiesbeside.com. While you're there, check out our merch shop,
1: extras, and more. This episode was researched and produced by your hosts, Matt Milito. and Philip Hall. Thanks for
0: listening to History's B-Side.